well. I'd like you to turn with me, if you have a Bible, turn with me over to Philippians chapter 1. I've entitled this, The Mindset That Cannot Fail. Now, we are starting a a mini-series tonight on the book of Philippians. We won't be going exhaustive as far as every detail and every word and the Greek word behind it and all that. There may be some of that, but the main thing is just just to, to get in there and be refreshed with this really most refreshing book, The Mindset That Cannot Fail. As we start this series on the book of Philippians, I want you to understand right off the bat that what Philippians has to do with, it has to do with the believer's attitude. The believer's attitude. We cannot control our outward circumstances, but we can control how we respond to those outward circumstances. And that's really what you see a lot of in the book of Philippians. It is a very powerful book in that regard, dealing with our attitudes. And I think all of us struggle with that at times. I know as the governor extended the uh, stay-at-home edict, or whatever you want to call it, orders, whatever you want to call it, today, I know uh, didn't sit well with me. And it's very, very discouraging in that regard because I just want things to get back to where we can have the freedom, a freedom of worship and so forth in our churches again. And, and I think of how it affects really everybody. But as we experience this policy, because of the coronavirus, it's easy to lose perspective as well. We can become discouraged, fearful. We can become fearful. I know uh, people get afraid. They think, okay, am I going to get it? And, you know, if I go here, if I go there, Oh, you know, I was within so many feet of that person. They were only in the parking lot, but the wind was blowing my way when they coughed, you know, and, and all those kind of things that go through people's minds. Depression is something that people are having to deal with through this. How should we view it as believers? There's no doubt it's a challenge, but how should we view this as believers? I wanted to throw this in, kind of an interesting little tidbit. Are you aware that the sale of the Bible, in other words, uh, Bible sales, people purchasing the Word of God, has uh, very much increased in the last month in our nation? I think that's kind of interesting. What is that saying? People are turning to God. People are, are turning to the Lord for help. They need help. They need direction. And really, we all do. They're looking for answers. So how do we handle it? Okay, do we just kind of take the same posture as those who don't know Christ the Savior and don't have God as their father? Or is there something better? Is there a different perspective God wants us to have? Well, I think instead of focusing on what we can't do at this point, I think we need to think in terms of what we can do at this time. Yes, there are certain things that we're not supposed to do, but okay, we can't do that. What can we do? What can we do? Instead of focusing on what we can't, let's focus on what we can do. And what we can do is what God wants us to do. And what is that? What is the right mindset? Well, we see this ever so clearly in the book of Philippians, which is a prison epistle. Okay, now an epistle is it's, it's just another word for a letter. An epistle, the old saying goes, it's, it's the epistles are not the wives of the apostles, okay? The word epistle simply means a letter. And Paul wrote Philippians, as he did several other of his letters, while incarcerated. He was in jail. 
okay, at the time when he wrote them. I don't know about you, you and me, how we would handle that. If you were in jail, would you be enthusiastic about writing a letter having to do with spiritual matters? Okay, now I know he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but nevertheless, he yielded himself and he cooperated with God and allowed God to use him to get down the text of Scripture. And I think it's an amazing thing. So it is a prison epistle. Paul wrote it while in jail. Yet the theme of Philippians is joy or rejoicing. Now that's not a contrary concept. Rather, it's an issue of having the proper mindset to where he could have that as the theme. Joy, rejoicing. Philippians deals with the believer's attitude. And as one once said, our attitude will determine our altitude, so to speak, and how high we fly over the circumstances of life. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles, Philippians chapter 1, and it says this in verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, or Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making request with, here we go, joy, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, we're going to focus on a couple concepts here tonight, well, several of them. One of them, though, is this. Philippians uses the word gospel... Now remember, Paul is in prison when he's writing this. But Philippians uses the word gospel eight times in four chapters. That's an average of twice every chapter. And the chapters are not long. Here in chapter 1, we have it used several times. Just look at your Bible there. Philippians 1.5, it says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Philippians 1.7 even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Philippians 1.12, it talks about the furtherance of the gospel. Philippians 1.17, the defense of the gospel. Philippians 1.27, striving together for what? For the faith of the gospel, Okay. Now, this is significant. We're going to go back to that in just a couple minutes. But the other two words I want to mention to you that you see many times in the book of Philippians, we see the gospel is prominent, and then uh, the word gospel, and then we see the words joy and rejoice. Joy and rejoice. They are found 16 times in 12 verses. 16 times in 12 verses. Remember now, this is a little epistle that's only four chapters long. Now, couple this with the focus on the gospel, that's where Paul was, and in reaching people for Christ. I got a question for you. Are those concepts related? The focus on the gospel and then the words joy and rejoicing, are those concepts related? Well, yes, For when we think as God does, and we are focused on the big picture, what will happen? As we are seeing the way he does and doing what he would have us to do, friend, that is going to result in joy and rejoicing. So it's the mindset that cannot fail. 
And this is where God wants us to be. Remember, as a believer, we have heaven to look forward to. And of course, that could be coming to us any day now. You know, there's all kinds of ideas right now as far as, okay, is this, uh, you know, is this leading up to the rapture? Well, of course, in time, everything's leading up to the rapture until it happens. But is this something, you know, significant that's going to bring in this thing or that thing and all that? And we're, we're wanting to connect the dots and predict things and how things are going to play out in the world and the world scene and the one world government and the currency and, and, you know, the, the fall of America or the, the formation of the, the government of the Antichrist and, and all these things, trying to put these pieces together. You know what? They are going to come together. When? I'm not sure when, but I'll tell you this. No matter what, because I've trusted Christ as my Savior, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. And you know what that can lead me to have? Joy and rejoicing. Focusing on what God wants us focusing on, not focusing on what he doesn't want us focused on. Now, that doesn't mean we're irresponsible as citizens, but it's just a matter of keeping perspective. Keeping perspective, okay? The Lord is concerned about the salvation of everyone, not just you and me, okay? If you've trusted Christ, you already have salvation, Okay, well, then what about all the people that are around us? You see, Paul's life, Paul's life was a very gospel-centered life. That's not in conflict with it being Christ-centered, for who is at the heart of the gospel? Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is what makes up the heart of the gospel. After all, what does Romans 1.16 say? Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, the Lord is working in our lives to make us more like Christ. Everything that comes into our lives, God can use that to make us more like Christ, depending on how we respond to this thing and that thing, this trial, this testing, whatever it may be, he is working in our lives to make us more like Christ. Even when we serve him and maybe there's an adverse response to something that we're doing for Christ and we get persecuted for that. What did Jesus say? He said, hey, basically, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, okay, if you get persecuted, don't be surprised by that. They persecuted me. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. That's how it works. And yet, for whatever reason, we think that, no, it's not supposed to be that way. Well, we're we're reading too many books that aren't God's word on that. God's word gives us a very realistic picture of how the Christian life is going to be. So the Lord is working in our lives to make us more like Christ. And this is part of what the Christian life is all about. And that is called sanctification, okay? The word sanctify means to set apart, to make pure and holy. To make like Christ is the idea, all right? Now we see, uh, getting back to our text here in Philippians 1, it says, being confident of this very thing, verse 6, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now I know there's various ideas on what the thing is that God is going to perform. I personally believe it's talking about salvation, We see in verse 6 the three tenses of salvation. What do I mean by that? Let's break it down. Being confident of this very thing, that number one, 
he which hath begun a good work in you. What is that good work God began? Salvation, justification, all right? Free from the penalty of sin. Will perform it, present tense. That's sanctification, free from the power of sin until the day of Christ. What is that? That's glorification. That will be one day free from the very presence of sin. So the moment you got saved, the moment I got saved, God started working in our lives, all right? He justified us. He sanctified us and is sanctifying us. And one day he is going to glorify us. Now, I'd say that's a pretty good place to start on having the right mindset, the right perspective. I can look back on that and I say, you know what? The moment I got saved way back in 1972, from that moment on, the Lord has been not only with me, I have been in his hand and I am secure in Christ and I'm always going to be secure in Christ, whether I respond to him properly or not. But he certainly wants me to grow as a believer. And so we see those three tenses. Again, verse six, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Verse seven, even as it is meet or fit or fitting for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Ye all are partakers of my grace, right? Paul's saying, now remember, he's writing from jail. He's saying, listen, you all have a part in my ministry. We are in this together, okay? We're serving the Lord together. We're trying to reach people together. Dear friend, uh, you who are watching tonight, are you part of this? Are you in this together with me and with others, with the apostle Paul, with the Lord Jesus Christ, wanting to reach people for Christ. This is what it's about. Verse 8, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, okay? Sincere, the idea is genuine, okay? Integrity through and through being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. Okay, now we come to the nitty gritty. Now we come to the mindset that cannot fail. And here we go. Verse 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. There it is. That is the mindset that cannot fail. When we see the circumstances of life as opportunities from God, whether they're good things or bad things on the surface, and we see them as opportunities to share the gospel, that's a mindset that cannot fail. It's going to keep us motivated. It's going to keep us positive. It's going to keep us with the right thinking, okay? It's hopeful. It's, it's a positive truth. But it's not just positive to be positive, okay? It's not like the power of positive thinking. No, it's biblical thinking. And it just happens to be very positive because it yields positive results. In verse 12, we see one of the major keys for victory and effectiveness in the Christian life. 
Paul saw everything that happened to him through the grid of the gospel. This is amazing. The trials of life, he realized, were for the sake of the gospel. Understand, friend, Paul was always looking, 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 not at the circumstances, but at the opportunities that the circumstances brought his way. Now, this is very, very powerful. I want you to think about that. He wasn't focused on the circumstances. He was looking at the opportunities that the circumstances were going to bring his way for the gospel. And you know what it did? It kept him upbeat. It kept him motivated. It kept him positive. It kept him focused. It kept his priorities right. It kept him going. Okay? The gospel was like gasoline in his tank. It just kept him going. I got an email today. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of our seniors sent me a, an email. Uh, she occasionally does this, just kind of a web clip or something that she thought I would I'd find interest in. And so she'll send it, and I'll look at it and share it with my wife. And, and So anyway, she sent me this thing, and then I said, hey, thanks for sending that. By the way, how are you doing? Because I'm trying to check up on the people at church here. And, and uh, are you doing okay? Do you need anything? Are you healthy? And, and so forth. And uh, very interesting what she sent. Now, I was, I was just about done with this message when I got the email today on this. And I want to read it. And I'm not going to say who it is, but I want to read this to you. Here's what she said. She's a senior. And I'm not sure how old she is. And I'm not going to try to guess because that's not smart. <laughs> but she's very sharp lady and loves the Lord. And so I asked her, hope you are doing well. And she says, I am doing good, even though I tripped over one of those taped areas at Sam's yesterday morning. A nice man helped me up and stayed with me at the service desk till someone came to make sure I was okay. I am sore, but that is all that resulted from the fall. It could have been so bad. You ready? The most exciting thing that happened was that five people accepted the heaven track from me. No resistance at all. I am grateful for your live streaming messages. Okay? Do you see what I'm saying? That's the mindset that cannot fail. Okay? Now, how many of us would be thinking more in terms of, oh boy, I'm going to pay for this for the next month because I fell and this and that and, and, you know, not even thinking about those other people around. Listen, I'm not making light of pain, friend. What I'm saying, though, is this kind of a mindset is a winning mindset when it comes to living a Christian life. The focus was there, okay? She understood how to think or how to see things, and she was ready to go looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And I think that's really neat that nobody turned her down. Now you might say, well, they were you know, probably afraid of a lawsuit or this or that. Well, well, who knows? But you know what? She was faithful. And I would guess, I would bet that when she left on her way out, she's probably praying for the very people that she handed those tracts to, that they would read those tracts and trust Christ as Savior. You see, with that mind, how can you lose? Well, you can't lose because that is the way God wants us to see. Also, let me say this. How should we apply this? Listen, our lives have been interrupted, haven't they? I don't think anybody is enjoying this. It's a terrible situation that we're facing with the uh, 
pandemic and so forth, and, and there's a lot of adjustments, and I don't think anybody alive has probably gone through anything quite like this. Could be wrong on that. But how will we respond to it? Well, if we think the way we should, which is gospel-centered, looking, 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 Remember, Paul said, the things that have happened unto me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel. And listen, friend, I get emails from people who are doing this exact thing. They're in awful, awful circumstances. And you know what they're doing? They're looking for opportunities to share Christ, looking for opportunities. It's amazing when you think about it. And I really, really think that's special. Now, if we think this way, how will it affect us? Well, it'll give you a hopeful life will be more positive in the way we live. Why? Because it changes our perspective. Have you ever heard the term thermostat Christian versus a thermometer Christian? Okay, Paul was a thermostat Christian, not a thermometer Christian. Paul set the spiritual temperature for other people. He did not assume the spiritual temperature of others. He set the temperature. That was part of his leadership skill. He set the temperature, but he wouldn't have that skill if he wasn't thinking the way God thinks. Verse 13, he says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. What's he talking about bonds? He's not talking about investments. Okay. He's talking about, he's locked up, he's chained. And, and what was happening instead of whining about it, he was winning through it. What he was doing was he was taking his circumstance and he says, you know what? Now think of this. If you're chained up, if you're in jail, you've got a guard maybe watching you. What do you have? Well, you've got a captive audience. And this is the way it was with Paul. He was sharing Christ while he was in jail. And what was happening was it was affecting all the people around him. You talk about getting infected with something good. He was infecting people with the truth of the gospel. People were getting saved. We know that according to the later on in this letter. And not only that, but the other believers who were in jail with him, they were being positively affected by the way he was being, verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident or becoming confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He was creating courage in the lives of others because he himself had a winning mindset, a mindset that could not fail. His positive gospel-centered outlook had a positive effect on those around him while he was held. And he was being fruitful, making the best of the circumstances instead of thinking, woe is me. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice and will rejoice. You know, we don't know why some people share the gospel. Some do it for notoriety. Some do it maybe to compete. I think competing in ministry is, is a terribly carnal thing when preachers are competing against other preachers. 
for people, for numbers, for notoriety, all that. There's no place for that. But you know what? Even if somebody doesn't have a right motive or or even if maybe they're off in some area, if they are preaching the true gospel of grace, we can rejoice that souls are going to be saved through that ministry. I know people in ministry that, no, I wouldn't regularly fellowship with them, but they have the gospel and they're sharing it. And so we rejoice in every soul that gets saved, don't we? That's the way we should be. This is so important. And so what we need to do is we need to encourage one another in this concept. So here's the question. What can we do as the church? Well, we, we can't have Easter. That's a bummer. We usually have a, you know, a brunch and it's, it's great and it's just an exhilarating service. We can't do that. Well, no, not to the, that extent. But you know what? The word of God is not bound. And we can preach the word of God and we can share godly music. And not only that, but we can reach places that we otherwise wouldn't reach. I know there are people watching our live streaming that didn't watch us before. Or maybe they did occasionally. And now because of the times being a little bit more trying, they're watching on a more regular basis something we can do. Not only that, what can we do as a church? We can look for opportunities to share the gospel. We can point people to our website where we're trying to address the present situation accurately and present the gospel clearly. And that's the main thing, isn't it? To get the gospel out to where people understand how to be saved. You might say, well, I'm already already saved. Okay, well, you know what? That's great, but you know what we can do? We can encourage other people. Evangelism, discipleship. That's really what the Christian life is all about when it comes to intersecting with other people and working with other people and ministering to other people. Evangelism and discipleship. Look at verse 27. Philippians 1.27. Paul says this, only let your conversation, and that doesn't just mean what you say, what you talk about. It would include that. But it has to do with the way we live our lives. Only let your conversation be as it becometh or is worthy of the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent. There you go. With them, absent from them. Kind of like now, right? That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, the faith of the gospel, the plan of salvation. That's what the gospel is. It's, it's good news. It's good news. That's the truth of scripture. Okay. Let me say, friend, uh, you could possibly be watching and maybe you don't know where you're going when you die. Can I ask you that question? If you were to die this very moment, where would you go? If your answer is something like, well, I hope I go to heaven, you're probably not going there. Because God wants you to know for sure. And he has provided a way where you can know for sure. You see, if you're trusting in the way you live your life, in your good works, if that's what you're trusting in to get to heaven, you can never know you're going to heaven unless you're a very egotistical person and you think, well, I'm, I'm good enough. God says none of us are good enough. So if you're trusting in your good works, you can never know whether you're going to go to heaven or not. But there is a way you can know. And let me explain that to you. If this were to represent you and me, and 
my wallet represents all the things we do wrong, our sins. Okay, here we are. Yet the Bible tells us God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. Our sin separates us from him. You can't go to heaven with even one sin. The sin's got to be gone. And yet here we are and we're sinners. Now God says it has to be paid for. It has to be punished. And if we do it, we'll spend forever in hell suffering for our sin. But God doesn't want that for any of us. But you got to be sinless to get into heaven and we're not. So what are we going to do? Well, our good works won't do it because we're already sinners. It has to be gone. God says, listen, there's nothing you could do to save yourself. So what I will do is I will provide a way for you because I love you. I hate your sin, but I love you. And what he did was God himself took on flesh, became a man, the God man, the Lord Jesus Christ, this hand representing him. He was sinless and he lived a perfect life. Jesus went to the cross and he went to the cross, not just to die. He didn't just go to die for sin. He went to the cross to die for your sin and for mine to pay the price necessary so that we could be saved. See, Jesus came and he took all of our sin upon himself and he made the complete payment and he was buried. And yes, three days later, he rose from the grave. More about that on Sunday. But here's the truth of it. When you believe or you trust in Christ that he made that payment for you, you're trusting in him as your savior. The moment you do, He gives you everlasting life. He forgives you of all your sin. He gives you heaven. The moment you believe, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Really? Yeah, really. God is offering you everlasting life, which is a home in heaven. Right now, this moment, you can have it. If you will believe in Jesus Christ, not just that he existed, but you're trusting in him that he has paid for all of your sins, that he's the only way. And when you do, he saves you. Again, it's not by works. Romans 4 verse 5 says this, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Salvation is only by faith in Christ, not by faith and works, by faith alone in Christ alone. So if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you do that? You know, the Apostle Paul was a very religious Jew for a good part of his life, but he was not saved. Okay, It wasn't until he met the Lord on the road to Damascus and he trusted Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one he had persecuted, but he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior and he was given eternal life. And what did he do? The very faith, the very belief that he had persecuted and hated, he now turned around, he started preaching that same gospel, that same message of salvation. He used the rest of his life doing it. Even in difficult times, he kept going. What kept him going? The salvation of souls the gospel, okay? He wanted to see people saved and it was a driver in his life and it was a mindset. You know, they, they, at one point they stoned him and they left him for dead. And then what happened? After a period of time, he got off. I kind of probably brushed himself off. And the very place that he had left, the very town he had left, he turned right around and went back. Why? He has eternal life, you know? Take his life, 
But that's only physical life. He had eternal life. And he wanted other people to have it. And I hope you want him to have it too. So friend, if you have not personally trusted Christ as Savior, would you do that right now in the quietness of your mind? You can just think between you and God. Get it settled. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself, but I am trusting Jesus Christ to give me that gift of eternal life. It is that. It's a gift. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And the moment you do, he'll give you everlasting life. And for those of us who are saved, we have a life that God wants us to live, and let's live it based on his principles and his values. Let's pray, shall we? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.